0: I'm Vanessa Cirillo, and this is Valley Voices Radio from New England Public Media. For the next half hour, you're going to hear your friends and neighbors divulge true, personal, sometimes embarrassing stories in front of a live audience. These recordings were made during our Story Slam events that we produce with the Academy of Music, and today's stories are all about the open road. When I was nine and my sister was five, my family made a cross-country trip from our home in Western Mass to Santa Fe, New Mexico in our Subaru Legacy wagon. It was epic. We took at least three weeks to get there and we had two cassette tapes. One was Whitney Houston's debut album. The other was the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. To this day, my sister and I can perform every single song on both albums complete with our seated dance routines. We saw the Grand Canyon, the Gateway Arch, the Rocky Mountains. But what I'll always remember most is our solid duet skills. Mickey and Sylvia, they had nothing on us. The stories you're going to hear today were recorded at Hawks and Reed in Greenfield, Mass. The first one comes from Phil Simon, who once blazed a trail across Northern California with his bandmates. It was
1: uh, 1993 and... We were on tour it was the first band i had uh, been booking and uh, doing road management for they were called uh, international anthem and uh, i had booked them a 10-day tour to california and we were driving south from oregon and uh, we were heading into the northern california town of ukiah when the ford econo line that we were traveling in and there was only Six band members and myself and two crew guys, a PA and two drum sets and a variety of gear. And as we were driving, the um, the van uh, was gripped by an invisible hand on uh, that was grabbing the drive train, like Gargh! Gargh! and uh, it it made me really nervous. And uh, I was driving, so I pulled into uh, the local mechanic tire shop uh, type of place and. And they put it up on the lift, and, and he said, oh, man, uh, the, whole, the whole rear end is shot, and you're gonna have to get another one. It's gonna take about two, three days. And uh, I said, well, no, this van and these people are going to Palo Alto tonight. And uh, he said, mm, I don't think so. And uh, I said, well, y- yes, we are. And uh, I said, everybody back in the van, and we all piled back in the van and we started and i don't know how many of you have been to ukiah california but the um five or six miles as you're going south out of there is incredibly uh curvy and uh pretty much straight uphill and i was incredibly tuned into the sound of the drivetrain as i was driving and uh, much to my amazement no noises this is amazing. And at the top of this curvy hill, you reach a plateau that goes about uh, 10 miles straight as an arrow. I'm like, this is fantastic. And we start driving, and I get up to about 60, 65 miles an hour when that sound returns with a vengeance. So I wrestle the van for the uh, to the side of the road uh, from 65 miles an hour down to zero pretty, pretty quickly. And I put it in a park and I'm going to get out to assess the circumstance and I look in the side mirror and I see fire leaping out of the rear wheel well as the wheel has exited the vehicle. And um, I turn in and in slow motion I scream, FIRE! At which point all eight or nine of us exit the vehicle very quickly And um, I'm on the side of the California highway when a white pickup truck pulls up very fast and he screeches to a halt. He grabs a fire extinguisher out of the bed of his truck and he runs across the highway. And he puts out the fire. Well, we're standing there assessing the situation for a second and I'm looking up the road back northward from whence we came and I see uh, smoke uh, coming about, up from the field there and the guy who saved us, he looks up too and he, he goes, that must be where your wheel went. <laughs> and he jumps into the pickup truck and he races up the road and I'm starting to panic pretty good and he comes back two or three minutes later and he said, um, well, the uh, flames are 20 feet tall and 200 feet across and they're racing across this field. I'm out of here, good luck. And he leaves and Uh, I watch in both amazement and horror as over the next 10 minutes or so, three fire engines, a helicopter, and two planes arrive to extinguish the fire. Now, when I was a much younger man, I remember being told a story about someone who was driving who had thrown their cigarette out the window and had caused an enormous fire and that that person was presented with the bill for what it took to extinguish this fire. And here I am, I'm about 22 years old, and I'm thinking, this is gonna be a heck of a bill. And uh, the California Highway Patrol arrives and says, whose vehicle is this? And my friend Mark, he, he raises his hand, and uh, out comes the notepad, he writes down Mark's name, and he said, who was driving? And, and, and I raise my hand, and, and he takes my name down, and I said, well, sir, um, This is awfully unfortunate. um, But I have to say, um, this was a lie, an accident, and um, I don't really feel responsible. And he looks at me, and he adjusts his hat, and he said, son, it was bound
0: to happen. (laughs) Despite almost burning it all down, Phil's career was also bound to happen. He now runs his own talent agency, and he still plays shows himself. Alright, now it's your turn. Tell us what's on your road trip playlist this summer on the Valley Storytelling Community Facebook page. You are listening to Valley Voices Radio from New England Public Media. I'm your host, Vanessa Cirillo. We'd love to know what you think about the show. Send us an email at valleyvoices at nepm.org. Next, we'll hear from Jenny Powers, remembering an epic adventure in the Big Apple.
2: My story begins when three of my favorite things came together Girl Scouts, bargains, and New York City. So you can imagine how excited I was to find $9 round-trip tickets for 25 to from Holyoke to New York City. When I got to the bus stop at 6 a.m., all those little shining second-grade faces were so excited. Only one of the girls had been to New York City before, since her dad and I are museum lovers. And of course, we had a few chaperones and other girls, older girls, tagging along with us. So a good Girl Scout should be ready for adventure. She should be cheerful in the face of of adversity. And we arrived, got off the bus onto the subway to our first stop, which was the Girl Scouts National Headquarters right on Fifth Avenue. You could see vintage uniforms, the original Girl Scout cookie boxes and you could pick up a phone and you could hear how Juliet Gordon Lowe started the organization in 1912 in Savannah, Georgia. We left there and marched through the streets, the girls singing call and response songs in their little brown uniforms, just perfect. Our next stop was Liberty Island, where the girls took turns standing tall with their fists in the air, emulating the statue enough to soften and inspire patriotism in the very hardest of hearts. We had planned a fairly short day because they were still in second grade. So it was time to head back to the bus. This is when our problems really started. So one of the older Tagalongs had broken her leg and was in a wheelchair. And if you haven't ridden the subway and the ferry with a girl in a wheelchair, it's a challenge. Then we also hadn't planned to stop at Ellis Island, but we didn't realize how long it would take for all of those passengers to get off the ferry there, and then all of those people to get on the ferry there. So by the time we were getting closer to that subway station to get back to the bus stop, we thought, okay, let's hustle. We hustled those girls down to the South Street Station, got them all on the subway, and then we sat, we sat, Subways run on a schedule? And this one wasn't leaving till it was time. About halfway there to that bus stop, all the moms were looking at our watches saying, this is going to be tight, this is going to be tight. We got one of the moms who runs famously in the St. Patrick's Day road race to run ahead and make sure she held the bus. And then I said, okay, girls, let's go. And we ran up those those steps, hopefully, the girl in the wheelchair and her mom were behind us. And we were flying down the street. And if that bus driver would have gone like this, he would have seen half his prepaid passengers running toward him, waving their arms. But alas, he did not. And only the mom, who was a runner, got to see the bus drive away. I blame myself. Only one kid cried. Mine. (laughs) So I passed her off. I tried to make arrangements. There were only 26 standby tickets left, which ruined the bargain because I figured I'd better get those kids home. They got to have their first slice of New York pizza, so they were happy. (laughs) Then we went over to Herald Square where some of the girls got to shop in the largest department store in the world. Macy's right there. Then little things started coming out. Polly Pockets, Uno cards, things they had brought to entertain themselves on the bus. Soon the girls were saying, this is awesome. We got extra time in New York City. By the time it was time to go back to the bus, even the moms were saying it was great. So we got to that bus stop early. It was over some pretty sketchy train tracks, and it was filled with vermin. However, this opportunity to face a challenge and do it successfully came in helpful when just last year on our pilgrimage to Savannah to see Juliet Gordon home, our flight got canceled. <laughs> but we talked about it that night, and we remembered, and one of the girls sighed happily and said, Jenny, remember when we got to go to New York City and see those rats?
0: (laughs) Thank you. What is it with kids and rats? I don't know. That was Jenny Powers. Jenny is the Director of Science at the Springfield Museums, and from what I can tell, she is a boss Girl Scout troop leader. Sign me up for your next adventure, Jenny. Speaking of signing up, you can subscribe to the Valley Voices podcast for more stories from local people. Find it wherever you get your podcast, or at nepm.org slash valleyvoices. So I think it's important to remember that storytelling is what makes us who we are. We grow up hearing stories about the tortoise and the hare, the boy who cried wolf. It's how we learn right from wrong. We also tell ourselves stories to help us get through difficult things. Maybe it's a way to try and explain the unexplainable. Which leads us to our last story. It comes from Karen Fisk.
3: The scene kept playing back in my mind again and again. <clears throat> the gravel and the, the debris as, as the car went end over end over end and the old man who sent us flying off the open road. The day began with an ultimatum. Our son, Zoe, would not sit in his car seat. And it was a state-of-the-art car seat. Once you got that click done, you could send that kid to the moon. Nothing would happen to them. The problem was the click. And if you had walked by me that morning when I was trying to get Zoe into the car seat, you would have thought I was abusing him. He had his back arched and his, his shoulders twisted, and he was yelling, no, no, no. Well, I had had it too. At three years old, he was actually tall enough and heavy enough to be in a booster seat. So we put him in the booster seat. We clicked up the seat belts, and we were on our way. We were going to a toy wooden boat workshop. And Zoe was in ecstasy at that workshop because they let them use power tools. Not a bandsaw or anything like that, but a power drill. And he made this incredible boat. We had a wonderful day. It was hot and sunny and fun. And as we got back into the car, the only thing we did different was I sat in the back seat to read to Zoe as we went along. I remember looking up in the rearview mirror and smiling at my husband, Andrew. And he smiled back because we had had such a wonderful day. I remember looking over my shoulder and seeing an old man walking along the side of the road. And then it happened. The the churning of the gravel and the debris and the car turning and suddenly the sudden crash and, and arms pulling me out of the car and, and yelling for Zoe and somebody putting him into my arms and then we were in an ambulance and then we were in the emergency room and the nurse was running over to me saying, was your child in a car seat? And I just burst out crying because he wasn't in a car seat and I had no idea if he was okay or not. And then they took us in two different directions to do the first aid they needed to do. The next time I saw Zoe, He was in a hospital bed, hopping up and down in the hospital bed. He had a teddy bear under one arm and a lollipop in the other hand. And I remember thinking vaguely, that's not safe, (laughs) him hopping up and down in a bed with a lollipop in his hand. He had a bump on his forehead and his eyes were starting to go black, but you know what? He looked pretty good. But then I realized, where's Andrew? Thankfully, just a few minutes later, the curtains opened, and there he was. And he looked, he looked shell-shocked, but he looked wonderful. And we went home. And in the next days, I just kept going through that accident. It was so scary. It was so awful. And I think I just needed somebody to blame. And I thought about that old man. I thought, He was some sort of devil. He was a demon who had cursed us and sent us off the road. That's what happened. Just about that time, our landlord stopped by. We lived in a small town, and he had heard what had happened. And as soon as he affirmed that we were okay, he pointed to the ceiling. Above us, there was a young woman who had a little boy. All summer long, I had been trying to make friends with her. The two kids were the same age. I thought they'd have fun together. But she never let me catch her eye. She was sort of a little vacant, really. And the boy kind of trailed along behind her. I I actually never saw them engage with each other. It was very strange. He pointed up at the ceiling and he said, you know, they were in an accident too when she was pregnant with him. She walked away, but the little boy and the little girl who she was babysitting were killed. Yeah, everything changed in my mind when I heard that. I thought, oh my, we could have killed somebody. We could have hit another car. We could have hit that old man. And suddenly that man was not a demon at all. If he was anything, he was an angel because nobody died that day. Nobody was killed. Everybody was okay. Thank God.
0: That was Karen Fisk reminding us to appreciate life a little extra today. Karen learned to love storytelling from her mom, who learned it from her mom, who learned it from her mom. That's our show for you today. Thanks for hanging out. Valley Voices Story Slam is produced by New England Public Media and the Academy of Music. This show is produced by Katie Wright. The Buddy McEarns band does our theme, Love Disease. I'm Vanessa Cirillo. Join me right here next Saturday for more local stories on Valley Voices Radio.